Welcome to episode 140 of Friends of Film. We're here to bring you the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is The Nun. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, and this week, I'm joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everyone. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I don't really have much to say. Okay. But other than I'm doing good. Uneventful week, but you're doing good. Uneventful week. But it's raining here. It's gloomy. It's terrible. But I am hyped because... The NBA is just around the corner. The NFL is basically... No, it's already here at the time of this taping. Yes, it is. It is underway. <laughs> yes, uh, kind of almost. And then college football is in full swing. Yeah. So I am I am stoked on that level. How about that? I, was, I had a mini panic attack this week because I bought Spider-Man PS4. And then I found out that NBA 2K19 comes out on Tuesday. And I'm just like, well, I don't know what I'm going to oh, no. have any free time anymore. <laughs> um, but as far as my video game habits are concerned, we're here to talk about movies. That's right. Josh, what did you watch recently? This week, I picked up Upgrade. Okay. Um, and revisited it because I enjoyed it a lot. And it holds up as a pulpy horror action movie. The action sci-fi action movie yeah dark sci-fi action film action thriller yes there we go <laughs> uh yeah it, it just it does really it just does a really good job of giving you a glimpse of this wider world without getting lost in the weeds and staying on its story um mostly mainly because the budget was so small yeah. which is the, a great thing in this case <laughs> Yeah, uh, if you guys do enjoy Upgrade, I would recommend go listening to Leigh Winnell's Empire interview that they published this week. It is fantastic. It's hilarious. He is hilarious. He does a great Steve Buscemi impression. Um, <laughs> so it's it's worth it for that like two minutes alone. So um, this week, though, since I was I was being forced to go see The Nun for forced. all of your listening pleasures, um, I watched The Conjuring mm. this week for the very first time because. As, as I've said multiple times on the podcast, I'm not a horror guy. I've never watched any of these movies. Or actually, I think I saw part of Conjuring 2, maybe, um, on a vacation. But I don't remember if that's correct or not. But either way, I watched The Conjuring. Pretty impressed. Really impressed, actually, I would say. Because it's just... It, I mean, yes, it is a horror movie. And yeah. it is there's definitely scares and creepiness to be had. Uh, scary imagery mm-hmm. um, abounds in that movie. And... It really, I mean, it is not my first exposure to James Wan because I've seen his some of his other movies by this point. But going from like his early like Saw days to now this, getting a little bit bigger budgets, like yeah, you can see like how he's going from this to like Fast Five to now Aquaman, mm-hmm. and like you know he's going to continue to climb that mountain. Um, and it's, it's got great performances by Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, um, Ron Livingston, and then the mother who I can't remember the actress's name of, yeah. but she. Is very good at being creepy when she has to be, but then also like, oh no, I hope you don't get possessed right <laughs> in the beginning. There are some good feels in that movie yeah. that that are you know outside the realm of just here to terrify you, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the bigger reasons that movie was such a success is because it had emotional stakes yeah. versus just oh no, where's the killer at or where's the mm-hmm. demon? Oh, yeah. She's walking backwards. It's right, it's right behind down. you. It's like, right. yeah. yeah. It's like it, it, it still kind of fell into some of those cliche or expectations you have with horror, but mm-hmm. it also, like you mentioned, like had the good family dynamic and everything to right. give some like character development and everything, and like some stakes and some uh, livelihood to the to the genre. Of all the movies about the Amneville horror situation, 
I think that's the best one for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that as well. Um, before we get to the Nun review, though, Josh, where can people find us on the interwebs? That's a great question. We are on Twitter, at Friends in Film. But the rest of our shows and big questions are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and basically wherever else you get your podcasts, <laughs> except for Spotify. Except for Spotify. It's so weird. But if you can, though, on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. It really helps. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if this is your first time listening or you, you, you walked away for a couple of episodes or you've been listening for all 140 of our episodes, uh, just a quick rundown of how this show is going to progress. We're going to start with our review. It's going to be very brief in terms of spoiler-free sections, and then we are going to dive deeper into spoiler-heavy uh, conversation to, to basically sum up our thoughts on most of the movie, but we are going to start with a brief spoiler free section. In case you haven't seen it, you guys can still hear our thoughts on it. And then we'll jump into the news, do three main topics, take it or skip it, and then end with the flyby. Um, but Josh, it's the nun. You wanted to watch this. Yeah. Did it meet your expectations? Live up to them? Over exceed or exceed them or fall underneath? It fell underneath. It squandered its premise magnificently, like in ways that I kind of left me aghast and certain instances Mm -hmm. the nun is at times almost too obsessed with the the history and the lore of the catholic church Mm -hmm. and catholicism and um its villain the nun the the malevolent demonic figure at its center for its own good it's Mm -hmm. just it wraps itself in all of this and in hopes that just the shadow sheer shadowy presence of this figure is enough to give you frights and a few jump scares spread along the way. And that was kind of disappointing because um, I was here. I thought Colin Hardy would be a filmmaker in the mold of James Wan. And maybe mm-hmm. that's why my expectations were a little bit too high. I was thinking this was a natural extension of the con- the first two Conjuring films mm-hmm. and Annabelle and Annabelle Creation, um, which all have been reviewed decently, done gotten decent reviews. Um, but it's almost plays out like a, like a, a C rated fantasy film more than anything else. Um, there are some kooky characters, uh, Frenchy, like with the delivering these like movie lines, um, particularly near the end. Uh, and it just, it loses the, it loses the real thread of emotion and just throws everything at the wall to scare you. And about halfway through, you kind of get you kind of get the gist of it, mm-hmm. and it stops being really frightening. There are some cool things. The nun is still one of the creepiest characters I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, frightening people, uh, but that in of itself just isn't enough. Um, and the, the, there are horror tropes throughout it, which are fine. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. But none of them are done in any innovative or exceptional ways. So it's just really boilerplate. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, it's a two tickets dub movie. Yeah, uh, I will agree with you down to the rating. I'd also give it two tickets dubs out of five because as a non-horror person, I was pretty surprised by how not scary this was. Hmm, um, really? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there's like the creepy imagery and stuff of like the nun. It's like, yeah, she looks frightening, but like I'm not scared of her in a sense of like how all of the people in the movie are like, terrified um and then like the jump scares like oh i I expected at least 
like 20 jump scares that would like get me. And I'm like throw my popcorn around or spill my drink or something. Right. And there was like three or four that got me. Um, but other than that, like some of like their best ones, I think they probably gave away in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just more like, I was just kind of sitting there kind of just following the story, which wasn't like super interesting. Didn't really make a lot of sense in terms of what the characters were doing, which is like, you know, mm-hmm. a, a standard of the horror genre. Unfortunately, just like these characters are making bad decisions. Yeah. Um, that happens in this movie from performance side. Uh, I, I thought Tisa Farmiga was probably the best part. She at least had, I mean, cause she is the lead. She's the one like in terror. Most of the time she, I mean, she got a chance to show her range. I thought she did a fine job in that. Damien Bashir, he was good, um, even though he was just mainly just by himself most of the movie. Yeah, um, he reads books. Yeah, it's like, he's like I'm going to say the name of this thing and then wonder why it's appearing mm-hmm. in front of me. It's like, what are you doing? Um, and then Frenchie, played by Jonas uh, Bloquette. Yeah, he doesn't really fit the movie necessarily because it is like mm-hmm. he's not – the guy that you would put in a horror movie because he's throwing out one-liners, um, especially near the end where he says something that you know, plays off of like the Holy Trinity and like like those oh, sorts of phrases. And you're just like, yeah. ha! But that doesn't make any sense in terms mm-hmm. of the movie. And then like the responses that happened afterwards was like, this this seems out of left field for this movie. Yeah. Um, even though I like I did sometimes enjoy his moments of levity because like, ha, at least I'm getting like a chuckle out of here because right. I'm not getting like a jump scare or anything. So yeah. In that odd way, I appreciated his character a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, this just isn't like my thing. So, uh, yeah, two tickets out of five. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to really be your thing uh, like to understand this is not a great movie. Right. Like I saw It last year. That mm-hmm. scared the crap out of me several times. Yeah. But then also had great moments of levity, great character balances, yeah. great performances. And then like, not to compare this to it, but even like to the conjuring or something, just like, just, right. it doesn't meet that bar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, it, in kind of a weird way to compare to it. Um, Valak is the name of the demon mm-hmm. that I guess is possessed or, you know, this haunting this yeah. abbey um, that is inhabiting this abbey where the nuns live. And it supposedly preys on the f- fears of those that it's like, you know, mm-hmm. attacking. And I was like, oh, that's an it parallel here. But when they do bring those out, the, they're just really surface level. Yeah. You're like this Father Burke, um, Damien. <laughs> Damien Bashir. Bashir's character. He's got like a past of, you know, over-exercising. Or yeah, he, I guess. He, he, he exercised a demon from some kid and the kid ended up dying. And that haunts him to this day um and like those things were like okay they just needed some other scary element because they don't want to overuse the nun yeah i guess throughout the whole thing um so uh (laughs) yeah like there are certain situations that they this movie posit its characters in and you're like wow i would not want to have to walk through um there's a moment where Frenchie. Do you want to just jump into spoilers? Oh, be in spoilers? Yes. Yeah, yeah, just, I just wanted to clarify. Okay, just sure. in case somebody was still listening, we are in spoiler territory for the nun. Okay, yes, please. Um, getting into specifics. Uh, there are certain instances where like, I would not want to be here, no. especially walking down a dark hallway or through the catacombs, um, looking over my shoulder and just seeing that silhouette with yeah. a darkened face and knowing that that's there are no nuns in this abbey anymore. Yep. So obviously that's something else. Uh, but apart from just showing you what they're having to do, you're, 
other than that initial, oh no, this is not a good situation for them to be in, mm-hmm. you you lose any semblance. Uh, I mean, there's there's no emotion left in it. Yeah, uh, you're just kind of like, oh okay, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and then they do it, and that's what you expect them to do—the mm-hmm. thing you don't want them yeah. to do. Um, and yeah, there's just there's just nothing. There's nothing else to grab onto other than cool marketing for this movie. Yeah. And I, and I hate to say that. And I know Colin Hardy was like in line to direct The Crow. Or no, he was oh, yeah, ready Co- to direct The it's Crow. It's Corin Hardy, by Corrin the way. Corin Hardy, thank but you. Yes. Um, so I don't know. If, was that at WB too? Mm, I feel like it was Sony. Okay. But I'm not, I'm not 100% on that. Oh, man. I just... I, I, I was expecting something a little more than something that felt like it could be on the sci-fi channel <laughs> really yeah i mean that's, that's pretty fair i was i had kind of the same thought like near the or i wasn't even near the end it was it was at the point where uh bashir had been buried alive mm-hmm. and i was just like this movie's just like not very good right now yeah and i was like i wonder if like whoever was like running the crow it's like saw an early cut of this and like Nah, <laughs> you're not our guy, <laughs> which kind of sucks because I think Jason Moore could make a, a good crow, but it's just like, yeah, maybe, you know, Corn Hardy was not the right choice. And obviously he wasn't. I mean, he departed the project or there was creative difference. I don't know exactly what happened there, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it definitely, you know, and I was, I wanted to make sure like this wasn't just like my thing because mm-hmm. this isn't my thing. So like I sat like, you know, closer to the backs, so, like maybe a kind of gauge audience reactions to see if it was at least getting other people. And I was literally walking out after the movie was over and like a dad was there with like his daughter and her friend or his two daughters. I don't know. And they like, he asked them like, so what'd you guys think? And they're like, that eh, wasn't scary. And I was like, okay. So it wasn't like just me. Yeah. Like people who are seeking this out to get those thrills, those, those scares are also leaving disappointed. So it's mm-hmm. just like this movie is not doing its job. Flinching in your chair isn't enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Gore galore is not enough anymore. Um, it's so good that you've seen The Conjuring because there's it's just there's a different level there yeah. that one uses where it's just the, there's a subtlety mm-hmm. to the way those movies progress where they build up and then they let they they bring you down a little bit and then they bring they build up again yeah. but it's all through the manipulation of small objects mm-hmm. it's really um setting you into that world and the nuances of what a haunting is or what people say they yeah. experience during a haunting there's none of that here there's just one or two big moments of terror mm-hmm. and then you're you're done and then a confusing plot about the blood of christ <laughs> yeah. hidden like you know it was like it's like is this national treasure exactly. or what, exactly. we, what do we have going on here um so then that those elements are just kind of like roll your eye even uh, the like the way that like because the nuns aren't actually there like the abbey's like left right but then like um uh what's her name sister uh irene, irene yeah like she like is seeing these nuns throughout the whole mm-hmm. movie. Like she's talking to them and it's like, she, but she's the only one. So it's like, to me, it was a very clear thing. of like, Oh, these, these nuns are not there Yeah, because and like, even their very first time they talk to somebody, once they get into the Abbey, it's like this black, this like completely cloaked nun figure. And like, she's talking like, she's talking like this. I'm <laughs> like, you're like, you're, you're, you're not a real person, obviously, but it's like, they still kind of try to play it off of like, so then when Bashir has a second conversation with that figure near the end of the movie and then like 
the ball, like the next snaps and you're like, Oh no. It's like, no, like I, I knew that that wasn't there the whole time. Yeah, like I knew it wasn't real. So like, it felt like that was like super obvious. Um, so just like, by I was more like just kind of confused by the whole aspect. Like they tried to, I feel like played off like a reveal of like, uh, nobody's here, Irene. It's like, yeah, no duh. Right. <laughs> I will say though, the scene that the, the scene before that reveal, the um, Valak is basically raining hell down on this yeah. chapel, um, and all these like these like militant nuns storm into the chapel yeah. and gather around and get ready to pray and it's probably the coolest shot of the movie where we get this 360 camera turn mm-hmm. over the the chapel's uh stage and i'm like oh wow as you see like these nuns are kneeling down saying hail mary and like that was really cool and then it just gives way to there's <laughs> there's nobody here there yeah. hasn't been a nun here in 20 years <laughs> yeah. or whatever the case is and it's like, oh, that's kind of a letdown. It would have been pretty BA to have like a massive army of nuns storming right. the catacombs uh, to retrieve the blood of Christ or take care mm-hmm. of um, Valak at yeah. the chamber where the Duke of Eddington or whatever, or right. Eddington, some <laughs> Duke in Romania was murdering people for satanic reasons. Yeah. Um, I also just like, you know, this is, goes back to the whole like people in horror movies make like dumb decisions. Like mm-hmm. they state that their mission to get there is like figure out why this, this nun committed suicide in their eyes, but then also figure out if the place is still holy ground. Mm-hmm. Their very first night he gets buried alive. She encounters a room full of, you know, nuns that aren't actually there. And then gets like, she turns around to the mirror and they're like, the actual nun is there. Yeah. It's like very clearly after that first night, it's like, this is not a holy ground. Your mission's done. Mm-hmm. But then like, they still stay there for no reason until the end of the movie. When um uh Irene realizes oh we need to close whatever like is letting this this spirit this demon out yeah the it's portal like, to hell i guess right but like if they they don't learn that until very late in the game <laughs> so like they should have just left that first night right it doesn't it doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah you're just kind of like why would you stick around there wouldn't you go back to the vatican and like get another army mm-hmm. or you know yeah. Bring in like a whole whole uh like squad of miracle investigators, mm-hmm. I think is what they call themselves. So it was yeah, it was sort of like I don't know. It's like they took the exorcist and tried to to turn it into uh something more. Uh, yeah. And it, it it doesn't work. It was just it was a squandering of a cool character mm-hmm. um through cheap tricks rather than something in the mold of what Juan had done before. And I don't want to keep just saying, do it like James right, Wan, right. but Ari Aster did similar things in Hereditary mm-hmm. and the way he built suspense and dread throughout that movie in different ways. Yeah. But none of that's here. This is all about what they put on the posters and what attacked you on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, and those little <laughs> quick hits other than a story. But if the story just needed something else and it, because it didn't have it, uh, we're left with something that we're going to forget about. Yeah. Um, but I do have some, I do have questions about this movie because okay. it opens and closes with scenes from yes. the conjuring and, or I guess it opens with scenes from multiple conjuring movies. I don't know if it's, I'm guessing it's conjuring and conjuring Two. conjuring Two, conjuring. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, like, there's like, it starts with a scene from Conjuring 2 of like Vera Farmiga talking to Patrick Wilson and like 
about how she's seen his death and i don't know if he dies in the second movie i don't i have no idea so that may be like what happens and i'm just dumb but then like it's her and her daughter seeing the nun in their house and then like it's like and 20 years earlier 1952 here's this adventure and it's like mm-hmm. okay but then they kill the nun they trap her underneath they put her back in the abyss or whatever right but then she's able like then we find out in the post you know like in the in the quote-unquote present day when we catch back up with mm-hmm. um the warrens that Frenchie had been infected by her and that yeah. he was maybe possessing her but that he maybe passed the nun off to Vera Farmiga's character? Right. I guess. I'm just very confused by it. I am too because the nun in the conjuring the second conjuring film is very um she doesn't have a big there's not a whole lot going on with her. You don't mm-hmm. know anything about it. You don't know why it's there. But now we have to assume that, yeah, he was possessed there or a seed was planted, Mm -hmm. a demonic seed. It finally grew out and then jumped back to her. But she's she's bound to the Abbey for no reason. She needed a vessel to escape. But she can still roam the premises, right? Right. So in Conjuring 2, does the nun exist anywhere other than the Warren's household? No. So is that her new sanctuary or whatever? You know, I don't know. She actually shows up other places too. Oh, okay. Um, so she's, it's almost like she's connected to Vera from yeah. Mega, um, rather than any one location does anybody else other than vera farmiga and her daughter or not her daughter in conjury not you know correct tisa farmiga who's not even her daughter to begin with but just to just Younger to clarify sister. yes um does anybody other than lorraine warren and the warren daughter see the nun no i don't believe so, so. maybe it's passed down through the bloodline or something I guess. I don't know. I'm just trying to make sense of this. Is this a hereditary prequel? Uh, Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I have have so many questions, and I guess they're going to be answered in The Conjuring 3. Yeah. Do out 2019. Does it have a release date? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Or at least the release year, supposedly. Gotcha. Um, The the other thing I'm confused about is because they cast Vera Farmiga's younger sister Mm -hmm. to play Sister Irene... And then they like tie it all back together by having Lorraine Warren be present for Frenchie's exorcism mm-hmm. and then have like the nun, like that's what she sees. Apparently she sees the nun's face is Lorraine Warren. Also sister Irene. I don't know. I figured there's a relation there. I feel like they definitely, I feel like after seeing just one or seeing two movies in this universe, I've seen mm-hmm. Conjuring and the nun that they are the same. Yeah. Cause she has visions and we know that Lorraine is clairvoyant. Yeah. Um, they make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge, she's, she sees the nun again. Right. Or for the first time, whichever, um, after, you know, like in a vision, that's mm-hmm. where she encounters it for the first time. And then it subsequently pops up. So I, that's kind of what I was led to believe, but she treats it like it's the first time in the, second conjuring film 
Okay. So she's sort of like, oh, this demon, I don't know who it is. So I think they're going to play it off as it's her or, the, or they're just not related or, or something? Or they're just not related. Okay. And it's just a coincidence that right. Vera Famiga's uh, little sister got cast in this movie. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think or, it was just like a... Or not a coincidence, but it was just like a, hey, does your daughter want to play someone? Right. Or your sister. Your sister, sister, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't think it was like a case of like a nepotism or something. They're like, hey, Vera, you're great in these movies. So we're going to use your younger sister. But it does seem a little odd to bring her aboard, even mm-hmm. though she was good in the movie. Right if they're not in some way connected. Sure. Cause like, if you're going to have a young Lorraine Warren, like have like tell her origin in a sense, mm-hmm. why, I guess, why wouldn't you Yeah. <laughs> cast the age appropriate younger sister of Vera Farmiga? Precisely. So I don't know. It's like, it's like, well, I kind of, maybe it's like, Oh, after I saw the movie, like, well, maybe I'll go check out Conjuring two to figure it out. It's like, but apparently there's no answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'll just wait for Conjuring three and then yeah. see Conjuring two before then, I guess. I don't know. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the nun? I have no other thoughts. Um, exhausted all, all of our options. Yeah. I've just, I've gone out of it. Um, I did think father Burke was somewhat of a cool character, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's going to have any spinoffs coming his way. <laughs> right. Then again, we didn't see the nun coming. So Yeah, unless we get a, a Daniel <laughs> right. uh, spinoff. Unless, like, he's somehow connected to, because he was, like, a army chaplain during World War II, which is set in, like, in the post of. So maybe he's somehow tied into Overlord, and Overlord is a secret <laughs> Conjuring prequel. Maybe. Who's to say? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we saw that trailer before, so maybe they did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll never know. Oh, well, I guess we would know if it actually happens, but... Probably unlikely. So, uh, yeah, that, those are our thoughts on The Nun. Not recommendations from either of us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're a big fan of the universe, go check it out. Make your own opinion. And then let us know what you guys thought about it. Hopefully you guys have already seen it by the time you guys listen to all of our thoughts on this. Because otherwise, spoiled the movie. So, sorry about that. <laughs> but not sorry because we did warn you. So, uh, on that note, we'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and this week we're going to start with captain marvel because we finally have something to talk about with this movie uh it's not a trailer unfortunately um but ew did a whole spread from wednesday to friday and even kind of continuing into today on saturday um about the about the movie um released 11 photos from the movie most of them focusing on brie larson as captain marvel uh, but also the star force and their members but also the scrolls also we got a shot of young nick fury Mm -hmm. um which of those photos really kind of stuck out to the most made you most excited about this movie or i mean did they make you excited at all i Uh, guess is the fair question come on they definitely (laughs) made me excited what are you talking about here it's obviously oh wow it's obviously the star for star force photo Mm -hmm. um of brie larson strolling in just glaring at ronin uh the destroyer ronan uh the accuser the accuser does he ever become the destroyer no that's drax drax, the drax is the destroyer and then korath is the pursuer got it <laughs> okay now that they got these straightened out okay but it's it just looks so epic there's Gemma chan on the right mm-hmm. with um and it, she's like she's a sniper for them apparently so that's that's pretty cool yeah it looks totally epic that that was the one that really grabbed me 
but also the Sam Jackson one yeah. is ridiculous because that is too good. Yeah, I mean, they could definitely touch it up more because it's still, we'll have to wait how it, how it plays in a live action form, but I mean, he looks straight out of the 1990s, right. Sam I mean, Jackson. I just watched Jack Ryan the other day the, with um, Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. and Sam Jackson has like, five lines yeah it's so stupid i'm like did they not know he was a good actor then it was 1992 uh, so anyway i'm like oh that looks just like him so maybe this helps that they had footage from this man for the last two and a half yeah decades oh, i'm sure to draw from but it is remarkably good but enough about like w- w- cooper yes what did you love? Everything? Would you love something more? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I did love everything we got because I've just been kind of dying for this. I mean, I basically spent the last three days writing about Captain Marvel for Screen Rant, so you guys can mm-hmm. go read close to a dozen stories I wrote about the movie, I think. Most, um, and, I mean, first off, you just got to say that Brie Larson in the suit looks great. Uh, the EW cover photo is definitely more brightened up. Her colors are shining through there more. Um, but I like the second photo of her in the red, blue, and uh, yellow. Can't remember what color I was forgetting. Um, because there's like there's some um, like there's some wear and tear. There's some scratches, like some burn markings or something. So like she's definitely been going through some stuff. And it, I'm still just interested to learn when she transitions from her Star Force costume, which is the green one to the red, blue, and yellow. Is that because she gets involved in the Kree scroll war and then realizes, well, I don't necessarily agree with the scrolls, but I also don't agree with the Kree necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting a new suit color. I'm going right down the middle. I'm fighting both sides sort of thing, which I think would be pretty epic. Yeah. Um, if that's the case. Um, but the star force photo, every time I see it and just think about it, that gets me most excited because the, the, uh, the possibilities that are at store with that team mm-hmm. just sound epic that they're a seal team six for the Kree empire um, yeah. that Jude law is leading the way as a mysterious uh, character who they're not naming yet, which is very interesting. We may get to that in a second, mm-hmm. um, but just getting to see more of Ronan, the accuser back before he's this Kree evil guy that we see in guardians back before he has like these, these crazy beliefs about how the Kree should rule the world kind of, um, and same thing with Korath. Before he's Ronan's lackey, he's teaming up with Captain Marvel and teaming up with Gemma Chan as Minerva. And like, I want to see that group really interact a lot because then if they're dope, then maybe we can like see more of them in another time uh, piece, possibly. But I'm just really excited to see more of those characters because then when we see them again in Guardians, like when you do it, if you rewatch the movies in chronological order or something, yeah. then it's like, oh, well now I know why. Mm-hmm. Korath and Ronan believe this way is because of an event that happened in Captain Marvel. And I believe that Jude Law's character, because Jude Law kind of described his character as a very, he has a very similar mindset. It sounds to what Ronan has in Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm very interested to learn if in some way, because Ronan and Jude Law's character are always, you know, right next to each other and like the two photos of them together. Yep. So it looks like Ronan is the right hand guy. Does he get his sets of belief from Jude Law's character? And listen, Jude Law's character does not look like he is very charitable. No. Um, the one, two images that we have of him. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's two where you can see him, one where you see the back of his head. There's one where he looks indifferent but angry. Mm-hmm. But the other one, the one of him next to Ronan, uh, he is... St- 
just staring daggers. Yeah. Now listen, um, Anna is on set there uh, mm-hmm. in the photo, and I I don't know if he's getting himself psyched up I or he's angry so. at her. I'm assuming he's getting himself psyched <laughs> up. Um, so he definitely doesn't look like uh, he is the yeah. He doesn't look happy. No. So <laughs> and like I I didn't even notice this until like probably the day after. But like in the photo of him and Larson together, his eyes are like yellow. And I, I didn't notice that like they like had put like con- colored contacts on him basically because that like just like makes him stand out more. So like, oh, oh he's yeah. he's not just like, you know, a half Cree, half human as Brie Larson is. He's full Cree. He's a pink Cree. That's why he's not like covered. That's why his skin isn't blue like the other members of the Cree are. Um, but I'm just very interested to see kind of how that dynamic plays out. It sounds a little confrontational potentially based on how Jude Law has been talking about it. Um, and there's already theories on screen rant. Um, yeah. I read a that couple. He may actually be a villain of the movie, which I think sounds pretty great. It ruins my captain Mar- or it ruins my Nova pitch kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I can rework it a little bit. I can give you guys a second draft in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, him as Jan Rog, who is a classic captain Marvel villain, Makes sense. He's like this Kree super lord. He wants the Kree to dominate. And that's basically how Jude Law described his character. So it'd be pretty epic if then like the final battle is somehow like Captain Marvel versus Jude Law versus Ben Mendelsohn um, in some like three-way action or something. That'd be that'd yeah. be pretty cool. And that leaves Marvel then. It leaves him open, available. To hang around. Yeah. Very be cool. be introduced later on. And if that's the case... I think that's probably a smart move for Marvel because then it, it's not well. Oh well, Cap. You know there was Marvel, and then he trains Captain Marvel, and then she takes his name. She's just Captain Marvel, yeah. and then if there is a Marvel, it's like a coincidence or something, and they can kind of avoid that like legacy element to Captain Marvel, I guess, and just make her her own character. Yeah, and then just cut or yeah, just cut him out yeah. entirely. Which is fine. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it'd, it'd be, it'd, it'd be <laughs> cool to see Marvel at some point, but there's also plenty of other characters we can get to. Um, also, need to throw out a mention to the scrolls because they look cool. I, I want to see them in live action. Hopefully, see how they actually shape shift because we get to see Ben Mendelsohn in the prosthetic makeup in one photo, and then we get to see his human form um, where he is Talos. That's his his scroll name. We don't know his human name. But he is an undercover agent at Shield, and also Nick Fury's boss, which I put up a theory this week, and mm-hmm. that he's responsible for Nick Fury losing his eye, um, which explains why he Nick Fury why he has trust issues. He was already collecting insurance plans yeah. on Robert Redford, yeah, for uh, the secretary guy. <laughs> I don't know his name. Yeah, yeah, Alexander Pierce. Yes, there we yes. go. Um, so that I I want to see the scrolls in action, and also have to mention. Uh, Lashana Lynch, we got character confirmation for her that she is playing Maria Photon Rambeau, who is the mother to Monica Rambeau, which is pretty exciting. Uh, they even confirmed that she that Monica is already born and alive in this movie, and Photon is one of the names Monica has gone by in the comics. So using that as as Maria's like uh, call sign, yeah, as a pilot, I think is pretty fun, and I, to me signals when we get Monica and like Captain Marvel two or Avengers five or something, I think she'll probably go by photon at first as like an honorary thing to her mother, Mm -hmm. but we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah. I did notice that they painted out, um, Carol Danvers call sign Mm -hmm. on her jet. Is that intentional or is that just like a 
thing they just didn't do. Well, I th- kind of get it. That, that, that's always a little unclear to me because the one of Lashana Lynch looks like it's from the movie, but then Brie Larson and like in the the caption photo and everything, like she went and Lashana Lynch did the same thing, but they visited mm-hmm. actual Air Force bases. So I wonder if the photo of Carol Danvers in the jet is actually just Brie Larson, you know, there on a Navy base you know, with a jet or if it's actually from the movie or not. I don't know if you can zoom in close enough and see if it says Larson or uh, Danvers on her suit. But I mean, I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out what her call sign is. If it was Captain Marvel, do you, do you think maybe that I mean that, that would make sense? It would just be more of like, well, how does she get that? You know, call sign then that'd be, that's what I want to find out. Are we yeah. getting top gun elements of a lot of I hope fighter, so. fighter pilot training, uh, training, everything. That'd be, that'd be cool. Even like, yeah, even some uh, highway to the danger zone, a little oh, yeah. anthems in there. I think we'll get, we'll, we'll get some, uh, some good thing, should, top gun references in there. That they should play I mean, just a little bit. And we'll probably get some nine inch nail songs cause she's wearing a, she's wearing one of yeah. their shirts. So um, I think she's also been spotted wearing uh, ACDC. Oh yeah. And, absolutely. uh, what was the other one? I don't Metallica? remember. Who, yes. And, and Metallica. There we go. So, uh, we don't know what the soundtrack is yet for Captain Marvel, but it'll probably be a lot of nineties heavy rock. And I'm pretty excited to hear that once it comes out. Question though. Yes. What do you think her favorite nine inch nails song is? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I cannot give an answer for that. So, uh, let's move on from Captain Marvel. I'm anticipating we'll be talking about her again next week. Cause hopefully we'll have a trailer drop in time for the episode. Um, but move on to Bond 25, which got some updates courtesy of Variety, where they said that Jan Demange is, in fact, back and running to direct Bond 25 now that Daniel Danny Boyle is out. Um, MGM and Eon are looking to set up a screening for his movie White Boy Rick, which is sitting theaters next week or the week after. I guess I don't know if it's wide or if it's limited right away, um, but they're going to they're try to seek that movie out, check it out, see if it's up to par with what they expect because it wasn't finished when they met with him originally for the job, mm. but they're not just meeting with uh, Jan Demond. They're also going to meet with Jessica Jones, director S.J. Clarkson, who's also helming Star Trek Four, and American Animals director Bart Layton, trying to figure out which one of these three may end up being the new director for Bond 25. So we've got three names. Which one stands out to you the most? S.J. Clarkson stands out the most. because in, in a good way? In a good way. Well, in a good way, in a... In like a what? Yeah. Really interesting. She would be the first female director of a James Bond film, mm-hmm. first of all. Number two, it's not just, uh, I mean, I hate to like even like, but it's not just like um, Paramount that is considering her. Yeah. It's like, it's not even like, oh, she built some clout with Paramount. Um, yeah. It's not like they're looking at her Star Trek four ideas and be like, oh, we like what you're doing here. But that may take a while while we negotiate Pine and Hemsworth contracts, so we'll give you this other franchise. Right, exactly. So um, it's just kind of like, well, yeah, it's not even that. But well, no, because Paramount has nothing to do with Bond, do they? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like, okay. Because if, if Paramount also had Bond, but they're like, oh, well, right. Star Trek Four is yeah. going to take a while, we'll give you this instead. It, it could. It's like she's a commodity. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some of her, uh, Jessica Jones episodes. There's... I, I don't know if I can pick out her work and her style um, yet, but the idea that like she's interested or they're interested in her and mm-hmm. she's interested in that movie makes me like, I really want her to direct James Bond now or at least get Star Trek off the ground. Yeah. Paramount needs to pay the Chris's what they're <laughs> yes. worth. 
and just get over it because that the the putting those two in a putting those two in a trailer is gonna earn you plenty of money yes it will uh, um yeah it's crazy cool i think okay so your your choice would be clarkson i would pick clarkson i don't know bart but i uh-huh. heard good things about american animals uh i haven't seen it i'm not ready to pay for it yet at least i haven't seen yeah. it in blu-ray it's yet. not on Redbox. i, ch- I tried to f- i tried to find it. it's not available okay yet. <laughs> yeah i know it's on itunes but we'll see um so but yeah i, I heard it was good seems like he could do it mm-hmm. i suppose but you know i just i just got excited about clarkson yeah what do you um, make of all this i make of it that i think it's not totally surprising Jan damage is the only one from the original group to still be in contention even though it is there's no mention of David McKenzie. Outlaw King's getting rave reviews right now out of, or not, I don't know if I would say rave, but he's getting, they're getting very good reviews out of TIFF. So if anything, I feel like they would also want to see what David McKenzie's interested, but maybe he's just too busy to do it. And Denny's obviously way too busy to do this as well. Right. Um, but I, I, I think this probably goes to Jan, assuming White Boy Rick is good, which I believe the early reviews have been positive. I think this is his job to lose. The fact that he's, back they're already familiar with him he already has some idea of a pitch at least i would assume um and since they're going to have to likely develop a new script it'd be better for a director who's already kind of maybe a little further along mm-hmm. in the process especially if they're going to try to stick to that november 2019 release date which doesn't seem very likely but you never know um i'm interested in bart layton because american animals has gotten a lot of really good reviews and then sj clarkson it's like cool like that'd be cool if she was like the first female director bond movie but it is also just like a i don't know if it's just them saying well we need to ask a female we need to get a female involved let's get the one who got star trek 4 because there are other female directors out there mm-hmm. and ones that have made a feature film before it's not saying esha clarkson's not qualified to make this movie because um, i think she can should be able to do a good job with star trek 4 but it almost just seems to me that hollywood's like just kind of pointing at her, be like, oh, you are the one, you're going to be the next big female director. So we're going to attach you to stuff. Yeah. Instead of maybe trying to find other people as well. If that makes any sense. It does kind of, yeah. It's the idea of just being like, oh, let's throw her name on there because I've read her name in a headline. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're also a studio head, are you, I mean, I don't know how studios work, but the (laughs) idea that you would take a meeting at least or take a call, um, for the sake of press, I don't know. Right. That just seems very vindictive. Yeah. Um, um and but it, Jessica Jones is a very is a is a character who's a loner, and that's sort of that Bond mold. Um, and if her pitch for the movie was something more uh, like an investigation type of a mm-hmm. deal, um, because those elements of Bond are always underplayed, I think. Yeah. I would like to see more of a uncover conspiracy James Bond film versus a all right, he went to this one place in China to get the secret note. Now he's going to go fight the bad guy. Because right. that's what it's been these last few times, yeah. especially Inspector. So, yeah, interesting. Um, I hope I would love to see David McKenzie get his name back up there too yeah. as and well. Yeah, and Variety also, Justin Kroll, the reporter of Variety, also noted on Twitter that he, he would be remiss if he didn't mention that there is still an outside shot at Edgar Wright. I don't think it's happening, but... His name is still out there as a as a possibility. Does Edgar Wright want it? I don't know. I, don't, I feel like if he wanted it, he would have it. I'll, but I don't feel like he would want Daniel Craig's Bond. 
I feel like he'd want his own. He'd want Tom Hiddleston or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know. And I and like if if Danny Boyle got fired from being going like too eccentric or too weird, mm-hmm. I, you're right. It's probably going to run into that same problem. Yeah, I just I don't even get the Danny Boyle firing still. No, I mean, I mean, I, apparently I, it was over casting decisions and villain um, ideas. I don't know. I was just rewatching The Crown the first few episodes and Boyle. It's very much. Boyle's style. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the perfect James Bond thing. It's very high drama, but I don't know. It just fits with the aesthetic. And yeah. So, well, if Bond is delayed as they try to figure out this director, Daniel Craig already has a new role. Deadline revealed this week that he is pairing up with Ryan Johnson <laughs> for an upcoming detective film called Knives Out. The package already sold at Toronto International Film Festival this week, and it will be Johnson's very next next project after doing uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi and before he does his new Star Wars trilogy. Um, and this is you know partially um, because of the Bond delays, Boyle losing the director, so the production may not happen in time. And so Craig has an opening to film it this fall, this year. They're already looking to cast the additional six to eight roles needed. And then uh, Ryan Johnson kind of described Craig's role as a, quote, a new pro. So uh, very exciting stuff. Josh, I can tell you're excited about it. Yeah, I am. Um, I love Ryan Johnson's movies mm-hmm. a lot. Brothers Bloom the least, but the guy writes characters like so well. And the idea that he's trying to write a character in the mold of Agatha Christie's kind of detective stuff mm-hmm. uh, is awesome because his best, of, other than Star Wars, is Brick. And it's exactly kind of uh, that. It's, it's Looper. No. Yeah, it's Looper. Just because Looper's more refined and had a bigger budget. Pers- personally, it's Looper. But I, there's, yeah, Looper is good. But I think just the the club there's it's not as clever as Brick. Okay. But I will I will say this. I laugh every time Joseph Gordon-Levitt chases, um, what's his name? Bruce the, Willis. Bruce Willis out of that diner, and they all just start shooting at him. He gets into the field, and they're like, "Ah, oh, no!" And they look at each other and like, "Wait, we hate each other!" <laughs> yeah. And they split and start running. Oh, it's so good. But anyway, that like that kind of humor dropped into a like a Clue Agatha Christie mystery novel, Murder on the Orient Express, with Johnson's humor and. Um, I'm um, assuming Steve Yedlin's going to come back for cinematography. So then uh, it, the possibilities here are endless. And then like the stable that Johnson's been, the, the, the clout that Johnson's built in Hollywood uh-huh. since The Last Jedi of being so great to work with and all of those things. He's going to have his, basically his pick. If you're not busy with some other production, who knows who he could pull in. It'll, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's definitely going to be in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also, just out of selfishness, because I want to see more of Just Going to Eleven. I feel like he mm-hmm. doesn't do a lot of projects. He's got that record now or press record thing that he's doing, but that's no like, idea. Yeah, I don't know either. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> Apparently, it's on Netflix and they oh. do new episodes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, like, I want to see him, more of him. I like the idea of this movie of doing giving Ryan Johnson like a detective series of his own. That's an original concept. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it's already sold and being purchase and it's going to move so quickly um i think is a very good sign for the quality of this movie at least on paper i mean it has johnson's director has daniel craig if he can be somewhat a mixture between his character as james bond but then also logan lucky i think that'll be a perfect uh mixture of daniel craig to give him some personality but then still have the detective kind of qualities to him yeah and yeah i mean if we need six to eight other roles 
Gordon Levitt's got to be one of them. Probably none of the Star Wars cast because I'll be busy filming Star Wars 9. But, you know, there there's plenty of other people that can get back involved. But if he could pluck Adam Driver for this movie, that would be <laughs> yes, fantastic. Make, make, get a Logan Lucky reunion. Uh, that would be epic. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's also just interesting to note. I tried to ask Ryan Johnson to confirm this. He did not online. That deadline notes that he is directing an entire trilogy of Star Wars movies. Really? That's what Deadline noted. I tweeted Ryan Johnson immediately and said, can you confirm? <laughs> and he he didn't do anything. Really? That's because, crazy. Because that changes things a lot. Instead of him just writing and directing the first one, if he's directing all three, uh, wow. I mean, maybe there's like a passing comment he said? I don't know. I don't know. It was very interesting. That it, it, it caught my eye. That would be wild. And they said that this will be his next project before doing the trilogy. So if he's doing this, this fall into next year, depending on how long it takes to do production. I mean, I'm assuming it's a relatively small film, um, but I mean, it can probably hit theaters, you know, next summer, maybe at the earliest, probably next fall, more likely. Um, yeah. And then if that's the case, when he's done that, we're we getting gearing up for Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy the end of 2019 possibly for a 2020 release we don't know we'll have to wait and find out but uh maybe there's movement here we'll find out it's interesting um let's move on to take it or skip it here there's six trailers to talk about this week we got our second trailer for the favorite um the first one for 22 july paul greengrass's movie for netflix the third trailer for the nutcracker in the four realms the first trailer for anna and the apocalypse one of josh's most anticipated movies of the fall mm-hmm. the second trailer for halloween and the very first trailer for instant family josh which one is getting your ticket this week. Okay, if I had... Like, listen, this is the first trailer for Anna and the Apocalypse. That you saw. Apparently. <laughs> but I definitely saw a trailer for this movie like two, three weeks ago mm-hmm. um, on YouTube. And they match up fine, but it's got 2017 labeling on it. That's when it was published. So, I mean, this isn't the movie trailer I'm going to give the ticket to this week okay. for that reason. Okay. Because uh, you already saw it. it. It's it's old news. It's old news. But apparently, The Favorite is on its second trailer. Yes. And I missed the first one. But this one is hilarious and it gets my ticket. Um, it's a, It looks like a screwball comedy in the, in the style of Death of Stalin mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, which is the... It's the funniest movie of this year. Or, yeah... Yeah, wow. it is. It is. It is. I, I I stand firm with that. Even though game night and tag and give it a real and run. You for love its blockers and blockers. There was a really good year for comedy. It is. But this is like a. Anyway, oh, it's Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, and Olivia Coleman just being lords um, and queens and just <laughs> acting terrible to each other throughout the entire <laughs> thing. And I guess that's my favorite kind of comedy. I don't know what that says about me. It's a little bit morbid, but it gets my ticket. Um, it's just there's just so much mayhem of people just being vicious and sneery and greedy and I don't know I find that really drawing so that, that gets my ticket. Okay, it, it definitely looks very different than Yorgo Lathmothius or whatever I pronounce his last name. His last two movies because The Lobster and Killing Our Sacred Deer are very different than this. Um, love The Lobster. Hated Killing the Sacred Deer, so we'll have mm-hmm. to see where I land on the favorite. It's not getting my ticket this week. Um, it's not even the runner-up, which is 22 July, because I thought that looks exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to 
I'm ready for another Paul Greengrass movie that's you know good. Um, <laughs> even though Captain Phillips was great, I'm giving my ticket though to Instant Family, which I'm pretty surprised at. Oh, Rose Burns is great. Rose Burns is great. I'm a I'm a fan of Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark. Um, no matter how much crap he gets, but. I was just—I didn't expect to give the ticket to this because I just expected like, oh, this will just be like a traditional family film, mm-hmm. and like it made me laugh multiple times watching the trailer. Maybe I was just in a good mood because I just saw the nun. I was like, well, oh, comedy, yeah, <laughs> thank goodness, jokes. Uh, maybe that was the case, but you know, the line like near the end where like, like uh, Mark Wahlberg gets called daddy for the first time, and he's like, I got my first daddy, and then yeah. Roseburn's like, I hate you, I want some of that, and, like goes <laughs> to try to help the kid. Um, Isabella Moner's in there as well. Yes. And she it looks like a fun role for her as the oldest of the adopted children. And it just looks like a, it looks like a nice, fun mm-hmm. um, family's, family story. And not that this is the reason why I give it my ticket, but, you know, Paramount was originally going to release this movie in early 2019, which isn't like the greatest release spot. Right. But then they bumped it up five months for November weekend, which is a huge weekend for families, especially. Mm-hmm. So I think to me that tells they have a lot of faith in the quality of this movie as well. Yeah. So if that's the case, fingers crossed, this is actually going to be a pleasant surprise family comedy at the end of the year. Yeah, right on for sure. And it's also cool to see Isabella Moner in a role that's not like weird right. or not weird. Not that her Sicario role was weird, but, but she's not like, you know, in danger all the time. <laughs> exactly. She's going to be a little bit more herself or yeah. her, she can put her own personal touches mm-hmm. on a, um, on a character rather than act within the universe constraints of there are giant robots in this universe. All right. right. <laughs> but I just, I just realized the Mark Wahlberg and that, the, the repairing yeah, there. team up again. So that's cool. So yeah. And I'm a big fan of Rose Byrne who just, she needs to be more stuff. She's hilarious in neighbors. So anyway, yeah. Oh, absolutely. One and two. Yes. Yes, one and two. Even though people Even though give two, two so is, much crap. Two is, two is definitely not as good as the first one. No, but it's still good. It's a, it, it is okay. She has more chances to be funny in that one, and I think that's why I like it a that, lot. That may be true. But let's move on to the flyby here to wrap up this episode, starting with the Academy's decision to remove the Best Popular Film Act uh, Award from the 2019 Oscars, they're going to redevelop the idea, talk to Academy members, figure out if they'll ever bring it back or not. But as of right now, there's no immediate future, even though the president of the Academy did say that like it's still in our plans. We're going to re- bring it. We're going to introduce it in some fashion, just not right now, mm-hmm. a little too soon. Right. Is this the right decision? Uh, I was against it. And then I was for it, sold one over dramatically by you and our big question. Yes. Go check it out. Um, but I don't care that it's going away. Like I, you kind of brought me over to, okay, it's actually a good thing to have, Yeah. but I'm okay with it not being there. Um, you know, and especially when Admiral Hodo and Steve director, Steven Spielberg tell you to get rid of it. So, you know, maybe you got to listen. I don't know. Uh, I would, would like to have been a fly on the wall in that room, listening to them talk about it. I would sure. have liked to have known what they had to have said. Uh, but going back to one of my initial arguments, I like the idea of blockbuster I, I like the idea of black panther punching its way uh-huh. into a nomination on its own merits rather than getting another category what it would definitely win yeah that, that's fair so I, I i do i'm happy to be able to see that part of it but going forward i yeah that's where i'm at yeah i mean yes i defended the best popular oscar on the big question i've done, done it on the show i've even done it online a little bit um so I don't think it's the worst idea in the world, but also 
I don't care that it's not going to be involved. Yeah, it would have been cool if next year Avengers Infinity War had an Oscar outside of probably best visual effects. Yeah. Um, but it's I don't I don't care. Like the Oscars are for a specific type of film. They're very a very specific type of audience um, and moviegoers. I don't think adding a best popular film actor er, award in the first place is going to all of a sudden double or triple the ratings for the Oscars and generate a bunch of interest with young crowds. Like that's just not how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really care. Um, but just to kind of defend the inclusion of another um, award, because I you know I, I talked about this with other people online this week. If it's just like people view the, the main Christmas I've seen about the adding this is like, oh, it's just giving these other movies a a certificate to give to guarantee them a shot to win an Oscar and they should have to qualify like all their films. Well, if that's the case, let's get rid of best animated movie. Let's get rid of best doc. Let's get rid of best short, because if they're good enough, they should be best picture contenders anyways. And they don't need their own categories in that instance either. So, yeah. Just something to think about, as I will also think about Rebecca Ferguson teaming up with Denny Villeneuve for Dune. Very excited about this. It came from THR this week. She's going to play Timothy Chalamet's mother named Lady Jessica. Uh, first pairing between the Ferg and Denny. This is great news. Yeah, it's fantastic. First of all, it's Dune. I know a lot of you don't know Dune yet, probably. <laughs> probably not. But you will. It's going to be great. Go read the novel. It's probably PDF somewhere online, so steal it. Frank's, I think Frank's dead. Frank yeah. Herbert? I don't know. I don't know either. It's an old book. He was old when he wrote it. Point, point being, Rebecca Ferguson is awesome. Hot off of her best film performance, I think. Or I mean, not her best performance, so to speak. But um, Fallout was a major hit, and she kicked a lot of butt in it. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to seeing what her and Denny and Sheldon May can do in Dune. Yeah, I mean, it just adds another huge project to her slate where she's now got Dr. Sleep, Men in Black, and now this. So she is really heating up, um, as is the cast of Spider-Man Far From Home, as Samuel Jackson and Kobe Smolders were both confronted as part of the movie because they were spotted on set filming scenes with John Favreau's Happy Hogan. So he's involved too. And then Super Real Movies reported that Gwyneth Paltrow is even set to return as Pepper Potts. So four familiar MCU faces, four mainly from the Iron Man franchise, but no Robert Downey Jr. What does this mean? <laughs> probably means he's on vacation yeah or he's off planet <laughs> doing things yeah, i don't know I mean, um, he, this definitely isn't because this is a prequel Correct. to avengers infinity war and avengers 4 some people are thinking yeah no that's wild kevin feige said like didn't he isn't he saying like yeah. he's, he's on record saying this is right after avengers 4 and that like this picks up the pieces moves the universe forward there's like oh well it could be because of time travel and avengers 4 literally ends avengers 4 ends where infinity war began so Technically, it is a prequel to Avengers 4, but it'd also be a sequel because Avengers 4 didn't happen in that instance. So, semantics, I oh, guess. Wow, that would make me mad. It w- it, it's, it's a terrible idea to begin with anyways, yeah. but I'm glad to see all these people back involved. Do you think, quick, this is not related to this, but do you think Agent Coulson is the one who tells Captain Marvel, hey, how about blue, red, and gold? I have heard that theory, and I love it. <laughs> that would be great. That, Cat that you know that he meets a superhero and he's like, well, I'm a huge fan of Captain America, yeah, but I can't rip off his costume, mm-hmm. so we're gonna give you, I'm gonna give you gold instead of white. If that's the case, if Coulson designs a superhero costume for Captain Marvel, uh, that'll be excellent. That would be some pretty, that would be some pretty like heartwarming fan service retcon. I've also heard the theory that his first scene needs to be at a place where he's buying the final 
trading card for his Captain America collection. That would and be if dope. that happens, that would be epic as well. Absolutely. Um, last thing here, we got a title for Die Hard 6 as producer Lorenzo D. Bonaventura told Empire Magazine this week that the prequel slash sequel will be called McLean and will feature a heavy amount of Bruce Willis as the present day John McClane, but then there will also be a young version of John McClane played by somebody else in a back and forth narrative, which I'm not a huge fan of. And this title just really screams Logan vibes. This is what we're going for. We're going for Logan, but with John McClane, but also with prequel stuff, which doesn't make any sense. Right. That sounds so dumb. I don't like it. It's like if it's old man McClane, he's just going to be like, I'm on the run from the cops. Now I'm going to tell you my story about how it all began. Yeah, that's basically the last two movies anyways. the, The guy is going to be... The villain is from the McLean from Young McLean is going to be the villain in the end of this yeah. one, and it's going to be like we're tying it all together. Yeah, his very first arrest now comes back to haunt him. It's like I don't, I don't care. Right. Die Hard, as far as I'm concerned, is already over. It ended. Mm-hmm. Personally, with four, not not including five, I like four enough. It's got Mary Elizabeth Winstead and everything in there, so it's it's good. It's good stuff. Um, Andy launches a car at a helicopter. So exactly. you can't beat that. <laughs> Not to be confused with the motorcycle at the helicopter. Is there a motorcycle with the helicopter? Maybe it is a motorcycle. It's no a motorcycle. It, uh, I don't remember. I only know what Michael Scott tells me in the <laughs> office. <laughs> that, that is, that is a good point. Um, but that is all we have for the flyby, which means we're at the end of this episode. We'll be back next week with a review of the predator written directed by Shane Black, which is kind of in the midst of some controversy, but is also yeah. getting some very good reviews or it is getting mixed to positive reviews online, which makes me happy. Which which usually when it's outside of a Tom Cruise film is usually a good sign for those movies. Okay. Yes. Especially science fiction. Yeah. But. So excited to see the predator next week. Excited to see the latest in Shane Black's filmography. Hopefully it, uh, it impresses both of us more than the nun did this week. Uh, we'll also be back this week with another big question this week, talking about Henry Cavill's future as Superman or maybe lack thereof. So you have to tune in on Wednesday to figure that out. And, but if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more plus Hero tunes and give us a five star view with comments. Tell us why you enjoy listening to the episode and the podcast in general. And then be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by Tree and Friends of Film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Oops. And you can yell at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our review of The Predator. <laughs> <laughs>